0: From Vistio. This is recorded for quality assurance. A show where we talk to the world's leading CX experts about industry trends, CX technology, and transforming customer support into a streamlined strategic advantage for your business.
1: Welcome to CX QA Live, where we discuss all of the most important elements and strategies to creating successful CX call center operations. We'd like you to know that we are being recorded for quality assurance. And of course, what we mean by that is that this time that we have together every Tuesday at noon Eastern is recorded for the recorded for quality assurance podcast. The links will be available to that. Podcast on the site where you signed up for today's event. And we hope you'll join us on Tuesdays live. But if you can ever not catch it, grab it on the video podcast or audio podcast channels. So this week on the show, we're pleased to have Sherry Kendall of Wayfair joining us to chop it up about the role of training and call center CX. Welcome to the show, Sherry.
2: Thank you for having me. This is going to be a great conversation.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely pumped about it. So if you're new to CXQA live, of particular interest to us here during this time is the agent in call center CX. So, we believe that the agent is the single most important asset in any call center, <laughs> and that agents with the right training, tools, and connection with your company will be a revenue growth and protection center for your business, will be the best diagnostic tool you can have for your business, uh-huh. will ensure that your customers are satisfied and connected. They're going to produce more and better work, and they're going to want to stay and contribute to the long-term success Mm -hmm. of your company. And we call this the agent-centric call center philosophy. And we're not creating any new ideas here at CXQA Live. We're just listening and learning and putting together ideas that already exist out there in a way that we can all understand them and grow from them and benefit from them. So this week, we're going to be zeroing in on the role that training plays in equipping agents to be safe in their work, successful in their work, and satisfied in their work. And I just, honestly, I, I go back to my very first job that I ever had, which I I remember very clearly and and I don't know about anybody else, but you know, those early work memories are pretty interesting, right? So, um, you know, I, I was 16 years old and I was working at a grocery store bagging groceries. Restocking milk, pushing carts, cleaning up bathrooms and aisles, you know, um, and my training was about an hour long. Right? <laughs> so here I am, sixteen years old. Don't have a clue how the world works. Never had a bill come in my name. You know, just clueless, basically. It, like we all are at that age, you know, and and trying to start work and and my training with my manager, uh, was now that I look back on it, very subpar. It was kind of a rough introduction to work in a lot of ways because she just really didn't want to be there, this person that was training me. And, you know, as I'm sitting there, you know, learning from her about how to push a cart, how to clean an aisle, how to restock the milk, how to bag groceries, she just was basically there, but not there. Right. And so um, she did show me technically how to do each of the things. And then, um, you know, what to do when I ran out of groceries to bag, you know, go prioritize this thing or go do that thing. And then she was like, all right, good luck. And walked back into the office and I'm standing there like, okay, so I start now. And, you know, I, I, I was really interested when two weeks later, they sent me to the formal training seminar at a regional store about an hour away. And that was a very, very, very different experience. So, you know, I'd already worked for two weeks and then I'm sitting there around the table with 10 or 12 other folks who were just getting started with the company. And we were watching videos of, you know, very enthusiastic people saying, this company is wonderful to work for and we value these things and yay. Right. And it was just like two different worlds. You know, what's going on in the store versus mm-hmm. what the corporate folks are putting out there and think that everyone is doing and thinking two very very different things you know they talked about values they talked about the experience we want to give our customers they talked about all being a team and it was just such a far cry from the paltry disinterested training i'd received from my actual manager that the inconsistency kind of got to me and and i guess the lack of passion and why that was just mm-hmm. not there with my manager made me dread the thought that Maybe work with something I'd have to hate the rest of my life, you know, much less going to that particular job. What if this is normal? What if work is just a four letter word for a reason, if you know what I mean? (laughs) And, you know, that that rough start was what it was. It was a rough start. Right. And I I ended up finding my, my way there and figured out how to build rapport with customers so that I had good interactions with the people whose groceries I was bagging. I learned how to do the parts of the job I didn't like efficiently and quickly and get get them out of the way and get done with them. Um, but the training at the beginning was a huge disadvantage and there was never another follow-up training event the entire time that I worked there, right? So it was just sort of like, well, hey, we checked the box that we trained them and now we're going to throw them out there and hopefully they do good work. Maybe they'll quit, whatever, right? Um now that first job wow. of mine was much less complicated than the job that an agent performs in a call center mm-hmm. and much less technical, right? Um I might not put the eggs in the right place in the bag or I might stock the milk in the wrong order so that the one with the expiration dates in the wrong place and you know there there are things that could go wrong but when you're talking about somebody who's calling in to deal with a customer service issue and it's a critical time-sensitive you know, brand issue. You've got to help this customer have a, have a resolution to their problem or whatever the case may be. That's a whole different situation, right? You know, call center work is very, very different than that kind of work that I did in that first job. Call center work is unique in that it's always changing. It's got to be done to satisfy both the customer's needs and the company's needs. And there's a lot of pressure on the agent, right? And so here we're going to bring Sherry Kendall in and help us understand the unique dynamics that CX training involves. She is one of the leaders in in CX training for the online retailer Wayfair with nearly 25 years of education and corporate training as well as CX experience. And we're just really glad you're here, Sherry. And I'm just going to wind you up and let you go. Okay. So uh, here's your first big question. Give us your philosophy of training for CX.
2: Well, I, uh, you know, I can talk about this for hours. So I, That's so why I you're made, here. That's why you're I here. Goats. Um, so the first thing is if we want to retain agents, we want to make sure they have the best experience possible, as well as provide that. We need to make sure they leave training with confidence to do their work. Individuals that aren't confident in their ability to perform their work will leave an organization within 30 to 90 days, depends on the stats you pull. But the point is they will leave. Not only that, but the uh, type of service that they will perform will be minimal at best. So we want to make sure that they're confident. And there are a few ways to do that. We want to make sure that the hiring process and candidate profile meet the needs of your organization. So if you have a, if your organization is, is tech heavy, there are, there are a lot of systems they need to learn, a lot of windows they need to navigate. It's important that you hire somebody with that ability. Hiring somebody that asks you, what's a mouse? Where's the on button? And then expect them to be successful. It's not a good experience for anybody. So first and foremost, before you even begin training, make sure you're hiring the right people. Um, And the way that happens is through communication with with talent acquisition and the training department. So training knows what works and what doesn't work, who you should be bringing into that new hire classroom. So make sure you're having those conversations. Also ensure that you are teaching tech, right? That you start there. They really understand your systems. They understand your policies and also make sure that you're providing time for power skills. When power skills, it's the new term for soft skills. So. You know, I'm just delighted that we have an accurate term now because these aren't skills that are soft. They're the most difficult for some people to learn, and they're not always natural. And I would love to bust the myth that you can't teach these because you can. Um, So, you know, we're looking at active listening, compassionate empathy, overcoming objections. Also, some things that aren't as common, mindfulness. How do you care for yourself when you are presented with customers that are disgruntled. Folks aren't calling customer service to say, thank you, loved your product. It happens uh, very rarely. We have broken our promise of service and they're calling us to resolve that. And so also providing space, figuring out how to teach them to care for themselves. What are those strategies you can build into your work? We all know average handle time is important, um, but there we have to build in those small spaces for them to care for themselves and teach them some strategies to do that. Another key piece related to my philosophy of training for CX is making sure all of the teams are speaking to each other. So training should understand what CX has uncovered. What is analysis telling us about our customers and what they expect? Quality and training, that should be a partnership without question. Quality understands what our customers want and what those behaviors to drive those metrics look like. Um, Marketing, uh, that's one that often gets overlooked, but marketing, they understand when are they launching sales, what types of events, and we should understand what those are and how to support our agents in providing the best service during those events. And if applicable product development really get to understand what your products are if you're drop ship understand what that means what does that life cycle of an order mean and where does that get broken so, lots of things to consider there. Um, first and foremost, and I know we're going to talk about this in in a moment, but you know we have to make sure folks have a sense of psychological safety for any of these things to matter. And I know we're getting there, so there's a bit of a teaser for folks to hang on.
1: <laughs> there is, and and I do happen to know that that is a particular passion for you, Sherry. And yeah. So I, I can't I can't wait to get into that dynamic with you. But you know, one of the things I wanted to pull out from what you said is this cross-team awareness, mm-hmm. right? And so few organizations are good at this. Um, yes. You know, I'm honestly, it's hard. It's mm-hmm. it's not like it's easy to do. It's not like um, any organization that isn't really, really good at this is inherently lazy or something. It's it, It's quite difficult to get multiple teams that are working mm-hmm. on partially overlapping initiatives to really work in a cohesive manner together. It's really hard to do you know you have to build communication paths and workflows mm-hmm. so that for example the training folks that are informing the agents are constantly receiving information and also being able to provide information so it, it it's it's a unique thing to think about and i would posit and i could be wrong but i would posit that most organizations while executives would agree with the statement that that's important very rarely get it right and really build out a cross team collaboration environment and set of workflows and structures and cadences mm-hmm. and all the things that it takes to do it. Has it been your experience that that's something that is kind of rare to come by?
2: I agree. It's very rare. It's almost always missed. And, you know, it's taken a long time for training and development teams to even get a seat at the executive table. You know, the the idea of a chief learning officer is, it's a, about five years old, maybe 10. And it's not common to find one at the in the C-suite, so we're often the last department folks think about. Right? Why would I let training know about this thing? Um, and and I don't even think that question pops up. I think. I, I don't believe they even recognize the importance um, of the training department. So it requires strong training and development leadership um, to ensure that they are building those relationships. And then that information is trickling down to the training team.
1: Well, I think that's an interesting segue for our next question, because we're kind of touching on that corporate leadership structure and how the viewpoint that the corporate leadership, especially C suite and VP level, um, you know, tends to have on the way teams either do or don't collaborate well. And the way that information that is known within the organization either does or does not get shared with and acted on by the right people and departments. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess the question is a little bit more direct, but it's related. And that is what gaps do you currently see existing in the mindset of a lot of the C-suite and high-level leaders when it comes to training. One might be um, specifically training for CX agents. One might be this lack of creating that cross-team collaboration and and, and information sharing. Um, but what are some of the other gaps that you see?
2: So some of the other gaps um, is that, Effective and efficient corporate learning is not part of the business strategy, usually, um, and it needs to be. Um, The type of learning that is offered can be a magnet to bring in key talent. Um, And so and and then also so you want to bring in key talent, providing exceptional learning opportunities. And if I may, you know, I think what the great resignation, as they're calling it, Folks are saying, I demand something more. Uh, you know, I demand more than just showing up and answering your phones or, or, or your chats or your SMS messages. What's in it for me? Uh, folks are starting to demand an answer to that. And learning and development is one way that you can offer something that's in it for you. Move you it, this will move you forward in these ways. And then also remembering that skill half-life, it decreases, um, and the cost of securing new talent is exponential. So those skills need to be developed in-house, right? And support personalized small little bites of learning, figuring out how to build learning into the work. I think part of the disconnect is folks in the C-suite and director roles, They have this antiquated view of training. Like I have to pull folks out of queues and put them in a room. That's very expensive for lots of reasons. And it's it's the least effective way. Nobody wants to be pulled in a room. You've already disconnected me um, by telling me, oh, for four hours, you're going to sit here and learn some things with somebody that might or might not be interesting. They might or might not even know how to do their job because in contact centers, often we hire folks that are really good at their job, but they don't understand any learning theory. So hopefully you get somebody with a bit of personality, but I can't even guarantee that. Right. So let's ditch that idea. We don't need to necessarily bring them into a room, figuring out how to personalize training and make, you know, create those small bites, build it into the workflow. Um, And if, if C-suite executives understood that it doesn't need to be this this cost center, that we can actually reduce the cost of training by building it into the work, I think they might get more excited about supporting it.
1: That makes a lot of sense to me. And I think also looking for scenarios where the training can be embedded into mm-hmm. the daily work and setup. And you know where you're not necessarily having to completely interrupt for four hours, but mm-hmm. to think strategically about the way people learn, right? Yes. And and to build in, um, you know, learning opportunities throughout the work day, work week, work month, mm-hmm. and and obviously creating an environment where the agent wants to learn and grow and improve, um, is pretty critical to that. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, there's the whole, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the next line in that song is you can, you know, make the kid go to school, but you can't make them think, right? And (laughs) it's a nice little rhyme, but there's a lot of similarities between the two, you know, word pictures there. And, (laughs) you know, I think we can have the best programs for, you know, training on the information side but if training itself is not a safe thing, right? Mm -hmm. If um, training and and improvement and growth is not built into really the culture of the organization in a way where we all know we all need to constantly be growing and improving. And we all know that there are times where we're going to have you know things we need to get better at in order to you know move forward as a company. And that's part of the culture. That's one thing, but that's not always the case. And so um, I know you're very passionate about psychological safety. Um, and I really want you to talk about that. You know, we talk about here on the show, we talk about agents being safe, successful, and satisfied mm-hmm. in their work. Because you know, you have to have three S's or some form of alliteration. I don't know why it is you have to have it, but you do you have to have it so. When we talk about the safety aspect, I'd love for you to just talk about why psychological safety matters and also specifically how training in a CX context can help facilitate that sense of safety. Mm -hmm.
2: Well, thank you for asking that question because I get really excited about psychological safety. Um, You're absolutely correct about that. Um, When I completed my certification last year, it was just, I was full of aha moments. It gave me the language I needed for things I knew to be true. For a very long time. Um, and so there are four, there's a ladder of psychological safety, right? You have to first feel as though you belong, which is called inclusion safety. I need to know I belong here. I feel seen. I feel heard. I feel safe. Um, and that begins with training and development because that's the first face you see in a contact center. Um, I, and I work for well over 87 clients now. And each and every time you have to pass, you go into training for five days, five weeks, it just depends on the client. And then you move into your job. Sometimes you don't even meet your manager until you go to the floor. So training and development is responsible for creating that sense of inclusion it doesn't stop there because inclusion safety is not a one and done. So I felt really safe on day one. Okay. Check that box. That's not how that works. You, somebody needs to feel safe each and every day that they are employed, even when they are not performing to your expectations. Now that's a challenge for some leaders, especially when we are metric based, Mm -hmm. you know, all of a sudden you're you know, I'm, I'm having these difficult, courageous conversations with you, but I'm not necessarily thinking about how safe you feel. Um, so how do we keep how do we create that? I have all sorts of strategies for trainers that I teach. But the easiest thing, the first thing that you should be doing is you're just as excited as they are to be there. So whether it's virtual or in person, you are greeting everyone with the first name. You're learning a little bit about them. You're really taking time to see who they are as a human being, and then you're revisiting those things. So if you learn that John has a son in basketball and he has to leave every day right up right at the end of shift to meet to get to those games, you're checking in about those games. You're remembering those things to re- and authentically. Right? Do not attempt this. <laughs> You really don't care because we all have a BS sniffer and we're going to know it and you're going to cause disconnection. So. Um, And and you and I were talking about uh, tattoos, if I may say, before we started this, right? So it's allowing us to come to work as we are as well. hundred percent. You know, the idea that you have to have a standard color of hair anymore is antiquated. You can't show a tattoo is ridiculous. Um, Really letting people, especially in a contact center, they're not seeing clients, right? Right. So let them show up as who they are.
1: Yeah. And I think the other thing with that is, you know, not to get caught up in the political aspects of anyone's, you know, sort of Mm -hmm. self-expression because that's divisive, but to be in a a place as a a company where everyone just knows and feels that they are welcome to be themselves. Mm -hmm. And that takes intentionality and it takes, as you said, genuineness. Mm -hmm. And I may adopt the concept of the BS sniffer, (laughs) permanently here as one of our conversating pieces, because I mean, like you said, we all have one, right? So, so I, I think, I think in reality being able to peel back the layers of corporate speak, being able to Mm -hmm. peel back the layers of, you know, what we put out on the PR as a company um, you know, nobody actually cares about that stuff. And you read it as an employee and especially if it's very different than what's actually happening, it it actually hurts your bond or connection or, you know, your psychological safety within the company because, you know, they're essentially perpetrating a lie. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I think there are times where people can be maybe a little oversensitive or easily offended or whatever, but a good manager, a good leader, or in the, in the case of a training you know, situation where you've got a new employee and they're trying to find themselves and how mm-hmm. to fit. you know, creating that empathetically connected environment, one human to another, you know, is so critical. Yeah, for sure. That's really good stuff. I know you were not all the way done with your psychological safety paradigm, so keep rocking.
2: Okay. Well, there are a few more steps there. So inclusion safety is first. Right. That period that has to be done first. Then we have learner safety. And this this also happens in the classroom. So folks are able to ask questions, give feedback, ask for feedback, make mistakes, fail forward. You're setting the tone in new hire training. Are you allowing space for that? How are you responding when somebody gets something wrong? Right. Very easy to shame somebody when they answer a question wrong. You are like, you know, you just didn't get that. Hey, Janice. Um, something that simple uh, sends the message that it's not okay to to be wrong here. It's not okay to fail forward. And that takes away your sense of belonging as well.
1: But it's so critical to model as a leader, even in the training environment, Mm -hmm. that mistakes are part of work. Yes. Now, if you don't care about your mistakes and you keep making the same mistakes, then we have an issue. Mm -hmm. But- As a leader, I've always appreciated other leaders that will even bring up mistakes that they have made. And maybe most importantly, when everyone can see that that leader has made a mistake, they own it. Yes. They maybe are the ones who even acknowledge it first. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and what that does is it creates a context in which being genuine and real and owning your mistakes is normal and accepted and then off of that foundation you can build that growth and improvement mindset, right? Yes. But if it's not safe to admit that a mistake has occurred, no growth will occur. Correct. You're absolutely right. And the, and e- training is not a growth programs, mindset. Right, and training programs will 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 be much less effective. And I think that's where, you know, the the mindset even from the top down, you know, it will permeate everything. For Gosh. better or for worse, right? Correct.
2: So if I feel as though I belong, I'm allowed to learn, now I want to contribute. And so I feel safe to contribute because I know that I don't always have to have the perfect answer. My answer doesn't always have to be right, Mm -hmm. but I can contribute. I can share my ideas with you. We're going to talk about those ideas. We're going to shake it out and see what is applicable and what isn't. And here, the last one, which is the most important, I think, in a contact center is challenging the status quo. We should never be doing things just because we've always done it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Customer service, CX, is moving at the speed of light. Um, And if we're going to be stuck in that whole idea, nope, 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 I can't hear your innovative ideas. You know, you've only been here two weeks. How dare you have an idea? Uh, We need to let go of that. So if we feel like we belong, we feel as though it's okay to learn, um, and then you've allowed me to contribute, I should feel ready and able to challenge the status quo. Some of these old processes, I might be able to bring some new light. And agents know our customers. The only one that might know them better would be quality. And that's because they just listen to so many calls and, and review so many chats and SMS and email. Um, you know, our agents understand our customers and what they want. So not using them to, to gather that that data, not Oh, I don't like saying not using them, but not pulling that data from them yeah. um, in a really meaningful way it is is a great loss.
1: It's a huge waste of an opportunity, and uh-huh. and we really like to place these kinds of ideas in the most positive, growth minded language right here on the show because everybody at the C suite and you know even at the board level are looking for growth metrics. They're looking for yes. you know. Things to improve. They're always looking to go up and to the left with everything, right? Yes. Um, and so that makes sense. But when we have a set of humans that their whole job is interacting with the people who can give us real feedback, and we don't give them a voice into the organization. Mm-hmm we're missing out on the ability to figure out what's wrong, what's right, what could be improved, right? You might be very close to having several things clicking and working on all cylinders, but the data exists oftentimes within the agents and their understanding and the feedback that they're hearing. But because we only rely on a CSAT score from the customer Mm -hmm. to determine how the call went, we're missing out on an entire mechanic that, Can exist within the organization from the call center agent understanding, maybe even being encouraged to create dialogue and openness and empathy within the call for the customer. I always think about it like this. Yeah, I probably don't want to add five minutes to the end of this call as a customer just to give you feedback because, you know, I'm trying to get on with my day. I've got other things going on, but, you know, when I've had a particularly good or particularly bad interaction with an agent, I might want to have that five minutes. And I think about how I could provide great feedback for a great agent or constructive feedback for one that needs help, but that still doesn't get to maximizing the diagnostic opportunity of a a customer engagement. You know, if you've got a human within your business who understands your business and is talking to a customer of your business What a great opportunity to to encourage that agent just to say, hey, so how's it going for you as a customer? What are some things that could be improved for your experience, not just with this call, but with us as a brand? And then to create an environment and and literal pathways for that feedback to be shared from the agent Mm -hmm. with the rest of the organization for the benefit of the organization. Imagine how much better business could be if we had that constant stream of feedback that's always being provided by those that are closest to the customer. I think it would change, well, business.
2: Well, and it does something else, Rob. And you touched on it when you were talking about um, your first job. Mm -hmm. Is this the way work's always going to be? Is work a four-letter word? Is there any meaning? This is a way to bring meaningful work to an agent. So this isn't just about answering our cues, right? We need you to be an agent of peace to provide that peace in those storms. And then we need you to share that information with us. That's how we're creating, that's one of the ways we're creating meaningful work. And when, as Barry Schwartz and his research will show you, um, that's really the key to monotonous work. I mean, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, but being in a contact center can feel monotonous unless we bring a level of meaning to that work. And that's
1: one simple way to do it. For sure, Um, it really is, and I think when you hear corporate speak in a formal training event, or from the CEO, or from you know a monthly or weekly all hands meeting, or maybe you get an email, and it's all we love the customer, rah rah rah, and then you're not even given the tools or the mindset or the meaning that you mm-hmm. need as an agent to actually act like you love the customer, like you literally aren't <laughs> equipped to love the customer. Um, you know, that's there's a tone deafness there on the part of the company and its leaders that really just takes the motivation and the you know, the why of the agent and just busts it down a few notches. Right. And so, yes. you know, when you get that really hard call, you know, and that really upset customer, you're not in a good place to deal with that situation. Mm no, you, you kind of agree. Yeah. This brand stinks, you know? (laughs) And I've had calls with, you know, agents where I'm presenting a really bad messed up situation that the brand has caused. And I'm listening to customer. I mean, I'm listening to agents say, yeah, I don't even use this company for, for this service that I work for. And you're just going, Oh man, you know, like if I'm a C-suite or even a CX leader and I'm, you know, Putting out an environment in which my customer service agents are admitting to customers they don't want to be a customer of the brand because of the lack of confidence that they have in the brand that they work for, you know this is not a good situation. Um, no. And and so, but there's not a regular way of providing that kind of feedback in most orgs, where even the CX leaders have a systematic engagement with the agents' mm-hmm. feedback, much less those that are above the CX leaders actually understanding the diagnostic tool that the agent can be. So I think we've covered that one really thoroughly. I think we could have a whole yes. show on just <laughs> that dynamic. Um, we could have a whole show on psychological safety. Yes. And I think we probably should. So I'm going to pencil you in for a okay. future show and we're just going to wind you up on psychological safety for, <laughs> okay. for a while and let you go. Um you know one thing I just want to touch on um and I think Jacob has one question he'd like to pose for us and and we're looking forward to Lots of more discussions and, and things. But, you know, we talked about in previous conversations, Sherry, the and even a little bit today, the diversity within organizations on the on the hierarchical org mm-hmm. chart, right? That impact decisions related to CX. So, you know, you've got the agent, you've got the shift managers, the, you know, sometimes, you know, call center managers, directors mm-hmm. over, you know, CX. Sometimes the directors are over something broader. And then you end up in the VP and the C-suite and they all have different, you know, levels of responsibility for what actually happens on the calls, Mm -hmm. have different levels of responsibility for the experience of the agent. They have different levels of responsibility for what the vision is, uh, for what tools are bought, for what, you know, hiring levels exist. So many variables. Um, If you could, you know, just kind of briefly walk through from your perspective in training, how to engage from all of those different levels with improving training in CX.
2: Um, so I'll start with the C-suite and um, I have referenced uh, in, in our uh, sheet, our worksheet, a blog post that I think anyone should read, especially um, C-suite and directors. Uh, so I'll be quoting them a little bit, um, but create this, create a corporate learnscape. So making sure that um, uh, the C-suite folks should be making sure that companies compete on their rate of learning and where their capacity to learn collectively is a driving force of innovation and growth. It is necessary to create what we call an integrated corporate learnscape. So if we want folks to learn and we want a learning organization, it needs to come from the top. So as I mentioned in the beginning, understanding that corporate learning is part of your key business strategy. It's not an afterthought. It's not a necessary evil. So while you're thinking about your business strategy, you're working with your board, you're looking at budget, ensuring that you have corporate learning and development in those conversations. If you're a director, um, create and support partnerships across the organization, as we talked about earlier. So CX training and quality, um, making sure that you're creating a feedback loop between all of those individuals um, and foster a learning organization by providing dedicated time to learning. So think, you know, often we can't pull from folks from the queue. Well, I'm here to challenge that and ask you why not. Um, Maybe it isn't an hour a week that you can offer at a director level. Maybe it's an hour a month. Maybe it's 15 minutes a week. It's amazing what you can learn when you are focused for a small amount of time. So my hope would be for a director thinking about how can I create a learning organization? What things do I need in place to support that? Managers, ask your direct reports in your one-on-ones. What did you learn this week? Um, hold them accountable for learning. So start asking that question. And just by asking that question, you're planting the seed. Oh, oh, I'm supposed to learn. Hmm, I guess I better get on that, right? And then role model that behavior. Talk about the book you're reading, the podcast you listen to, the blog post you read, the meeting that you went to. We we learn in all sorts of ways. We don't just read a book and learn, right? Or go to a class. You might have learned about a coaching strategy in a meeting that you attended or in a coaching session you were part of. So thinking about what you learned and role modeling that and sharing that. And then if you're an agent, learn, look for those opportunities, reflect, discuss and apply analyze uh, the data did it work did it not work and then repeat so always looking for that opportunity to learn again it's you don't have to be a a voracious reader like myself there are all sorts of opportunities to learn so start understanding that you can learn in a conversation and look through look at through the growth mindset lens and the last thing I'll say is I have a podcast habit. I listen to all sorts of podcasts and I used to travel sometimes four hours a day in a car or in the airplanes. And so I would podcast and I had a rule. I needed to learn on the way to work and then on the way home, I could listen to brain candy, you know, like Jason Flom, wrongful Conviction, something like this. But I discovered Tim Ferriss with when I had this habit. Mm. So Tim Ferriss often talks about things I have no idea when he introduces the top. I'm like, I have no idea what Tim's about to introduce me to, mm. and I listen anyway. Sometimes for 90 minutes, it can go quite long sometimes. But I learn something each and every time, and it's almost always applicable to something I'm doing either at home or at work. So. Find ways in which to open yourself up. Don't just learn about things that interest you. If you want to be a well-rounded employee and a well-rounded human, look for things that you have no idea what they're talking about and stay and listen.
1: Uh, That's really good stuff. And I would say, you know, it's really a a mindset and a lifestyle shift. Mm -hmm. You know, when you go from somebody who kind of is what you are. Maybe you suffer from imposter syndrome in a lot of ways, in a lot of situations to somebody who says, I know I don't know things and I'm yes. hungry to learn more. And you're constantly growing. I'll say this about Tim Ferriss. Also the fear setting exercise that, that he really teaches yeah. is life. changing. Yes. Um, you know, professionally, personally very applicable if you don't know what that is and what I'd love to do. Cause I think you were referencing uh, a blog post from the Boston consulting group. And and I believe it that's the link that, that you shared with me. Yes. You know, we when we post the content for this show, we'll post a link to that blog post. Oh, good. Cause it's, um, and it's comprehensive. Would, and I'd also, you know, love to get a couple of the other things that you said into, into writing um, Cause we do a blog post about our episodes as well as the episodes themselves. So love to share those resources. Um, Jacob, I think you had one question that you were going to ask Sherry.
0: Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, nothing too crazy. It actually goes back <laughs> to what we talked about in the very beginning. Uh, you know, this younger generation is getting very hands-on with tech. Uh, <laughs> so they shouldn't have any issues with it. Uh, so to speak. But I'm just curious, what kind of conflicts have you seen personally in your career where you'll have like people who don't fully grasp uh, how to properly train with tech? And what did you do in that scenario to kind of help Mm -hmm. them learn it a little easier? Yeah.
2: So a couple of things there, Jacob, you're absolutely correct. So the younger generation, you know, like my children who are in their 20s, Actually, I have a couple in their 30s, but anyway, um, they do understand tech, right? Um, yeah. I, I have a 15 year old grandson that blows my mind with the things he does. Mm-hmm. But we also need to make sure that we're, not, you know, that we're hiring folks from all sorts of generations, or we miss out on so many things, right? Um, including the level of knowledge that they bring. So um, we need to make sure that we have training in place that addresses the needs of all of the gender all whether you're 52 62 uh 22 that we're meeting your needs um, and also making sure that we're training our trainers so the another thing that changes within a contact center and CX environment is our tech constantly I mean the tech is different today than when I started 10 years ago mind-blowingly different um, okay. so we need to make sure that we're Making that space to train our trainers um, and remembering that they need to understand the tech that they're teaching. Um, I think that's the biggest pain point I've seen is we have some new shiny tool and trainers will learn about it after agents get on the floor and start complaining that training never taught them that. Well, we didn't know it existed. Um, So, again, it's that cross collaboration, a partnership between engineering and our ET teams and training teams.
0: That's cool. And when you say like, you know, bringing in different generations, and getting in all these different kinds of perspectives, mm-hmm. um, you definitely feel that's like a two way street, right? Your trainers have a lot to teach these agents that are coming in, but your trainers can also learn from the agents what they're comfortable with, what knowledge they can bring to the experience as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, you
2: know, ageism is real. Um, unfortunately, because th- uh, if anyone's practicing ageism, and, and I'm hoping that they're not anymore, you're missing out on the worldview and perspectives that you can't find from anyone else. I mean, the level of service you used to have to provide when you actually picked up a phone. There are techniques and strategies there. that are still valuable today, Mm -hmm. right? So it's about learning together. And some of the most uh, robust learning experiences that I've seen in a contact center included many generations and many cultures and ethnicities. So we're bringing all sorts of worldviews together, all sorts of perspectives, and then you have a well-rounded agent.
1: That's really good stuff. Um, well, we've gone a little over time today, but I'm sorry. This is what happens <laughs> when you have a really great conversation and you just don't want it to stop. Yes. Um, so Sherry can't thank you enough for being on the call. Um, you know, when we talk about what what matters for the agent, I think everyone knows training is on the top of the list, but you've given us a lot to think about about how to shape that training in cx call centers and um you know i i seriously think we came up with two new show ideas that are worth fleshing out just you know with you over the next few months so i look forward to having you back again thank you um, and i just appreciate your expertise and your willingness to invest some time into our industry today
2: anytime thank you for having me i look forward to coming back
1: All right. And uh, as always, we'll be here next Tuesday at noon Eastern to do it again with Jeremy Watkin, who's going to have some really great ideas actually talking about tech and call center CX and some philosophical sort of frameworks for that. So I hope you'll join us next week as well. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your week.
0: To listen to a recording of this and other episodes, visit vistio.io forward slash podcasts. And to join our show live each week, go to vistio.io forward slash CXLive.